Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 99. Back aboard the Nebuchadnezzar here in 2019. We're back, we're back. for part two of our Matrix Spectacular. We're back with Emily Vanderwerf, the critic at large at yeah. Vox Media. Um, she's back for the second straight week. <laughs> Hi. This yeah, means it's, it's like her- she never left. And we're not really sure whether or not to count this as her fifth time on the show or fourth time. But either way, she's lapping the field. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because nobody has, uh, has gotten more than I believe two. Not so far, I don't think. Yeah, not so far. Yeah. Well, I was, I was talking with Phil last fall and he was like we got to have you back on the show what do you want to do and that's the conversation that led to bicentennial man <laughs> oh yeah which was yeah uh, and then i also was like i want to do the matrix and he was like really the matrix we're not sure what we're going to do about the matrix we got to do something really big for that and i was like well i know what i have to do. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you really you really it. yeah 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 um yeah i mean i guess i just sort of i, I kind of want to just hand this off to you a little bit and talk about what this movie means to you mm-hmm. just in terms of it, it feels as though it early on sparked something and yeah. whether you were able to really either a understand that or know what it meant to you. Right. You know, and now where, where you're at. Right. So I wrote a piece at Vox.com under a pseudonym, the pseudonym Emily Sandalwood. Is it still under that name or is it? Yeah, it's still, I think we're going to eventually bump it over to Emily Vanderwerf. Um, but, and we're going to be, this was published under a different name. And originally my, my coming out essay had a whole section on it and like how all these dudes were like, (laughs) 
you missed the mark. And I was like, you see me as a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, we cut that. Um, And one of the things uh, that it was about was about like, I really loved The Matrix when I I saw it so many times when I was a teen. I didn't really start to figure out that I was trans until my 20s. Like I, and that was the thing where I was like hiding from it the whole time. But I loved the matrix so much. And I, more importantly, I loved the idea of a space where you could be anyone you wanted, which was a very universal early internet thing. And like, it's one of those things where you read into it from the perspective of someone who's figured that out. Like, Oh, that's what was going on in a way that we read into it. The Wachowski sisters own transness that this is a movie about them. Um, there's so many little moments in this movie where like, uh, Neo says to Trinity, I was expecting a guy and, uh, and, and Trinity says most guys do. And like, that's such a dang trans moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also like, uh, like agent Smith keeps dead naming Neo. Like he keeps calling him Mr. Yeah. Anderson. And like, that's, you know, such a, such a trans thing. And it ends with, with Neo saying, my name is Neo before like dramatically flying up into the sky. I don't know how much the Wachowskis knew about their own gender shit. Like Lana didn't really start coming out until the mid two thousands around the time of the sequels. I do remember that I followed the story of Lana Wachowski coming out with great fervor. And I was not that I still wasn't kind of clued into anything, but like I followed that and I saw the way that people covered it and was like, kind of dismayed by that. Sure. People covered it like as a salacious piece of tawdry gossip that like, yeah. Um, But yeah, the whole Wachowski thing is very important to me obviously it's very important to a lot of trans people but also the matrix as an allegory of like being able to find your true self online like i say i didn't know i was trans but i was going into like chat rooms and pretending to be a girl and like i liked the way that felt in a way that i didn't want to um interrogate because i was growing up in this fundamentalist christian World. This was in high school. Yeah, this yeah. was in high school. Um, the early days of the internet, Yahoo chat rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would frequently log in as just like a girl and be like, "Hey, let's talk to some boys." And like, it was I was fascinated by how differently they treated me, and I liked that feeling of it being treated in that fashion. And I didn't really push it any further because this is the nineties. I didn't know the word trans. Mm -hmm. Like there was a time when I was like, am I gay? And I just like, I wasn't as attracted to men. Like I just wasn't. And you know, and I think that the more, I think the best way to understand trans stuff is allegorically. Like it's really hard for a person who's cis to understand what it is to be trans in a way that like, I think fundamentally we can all understand if you're a straight person, you can kind of understand what it is to be gay. You can be like, okay, my polarity's flipped. Sure. I don't understand why anyone would ever be attracted to men. They're terrible. But, uh, but, you know, I definitely understand the idea of like, I see Chris Evans and I'm like, oh, I get why someone would be attracted to Chris Mm -hmm. Evans. Like, I think we all kind of get that. Only Chris Evans. Well, yeah, (laughs) no, no. Um, and uh, the hot priest from Fleabag. Uh, uh, apparently. Jesus, my God. Yeah. Like an echo chamber of hot priest shit on Twitter. It's crazy. Yeah. He is very good, though. Um, but. but it's really hard if you don't spend every waking moment of your life knowing something's up with your gender. It's really hard to be like, oh, yeah. like, And this is kind of what held me back is I just assumed for a lot of my life that we all thought about what it would be like to be a woman and we just weren't talking about it. 
Like that was a thing that was in all of our brains right now. And we just weren't talking about it because we were talking about the matrix instead. And I didn't realize that there was like language for that, that that was like an identity, that that was like a person. But if you're not thinking about it all the time, why, like, why would you ever consider that somebody else might be, you know, we're sort of locked into our own perception. So something like the matrix is a symbolic way to represent that journey in a way that something like, I think things like Caitlyn Jenner, Transparent, um, Orange is the New Black have done a lot to increase the idea of the reality of trans people. I think something like The Matrix is better at making our lives feel like experiences instead of weird kind of storytelling fetishes in a way that a lot of these other things have. Here's – I I sort of want to unpack something you just said about the idea of like that people don't think about what it's like to be a a woman, for Mm -hmm. instance. Mm -hmm. Um, I just – I feel like – Yes, we are very myopic. Yes, we are very much in our own heads. We can only be in our own heads, right? But I would argue that the reason that we are constantly watching television shows or movies or listening right. to music or whatever is the best we can do to live through yes. other pe- in other people's shoes. And I've long argued that the Wachowskis' work um, resonates with people beyond trans people because it's sort of about the experience of being online. Because mm-hmm. the experience of being online is if I turn on my Twitter – I'm going to get a million different people's thoughts and like they're the straight feed of their consciousness in essence. And like that is pretty close to like watching a Wachowski movie where you feel like you're tapping into these different um, types of people. But I guess I would say there's a difference between wanting to better understand and wanting to To actually embody and like feeling this intense compulsion, this intense need, this intense compulsion is the wrong word because that makes it sound like a fetish. Like we don't really have language for it. We don't really have longing. Yeah. A longing, a feeling that you are somehow put together wrong and like could be put together right in a different way. It does. It does feel, sorry. uh, It does feel a little bit like, what you're <laughs> to use being John Malkovich, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. That idea of I think people with in VR or whatever, like the idea of physically being like a person has arrived. I hate yeah. to, but do you know what I'm sort of getting at? We are. That right. seems that's no, we are. We right. are. This is the, but that seems like a desire that we have to to live other people's to you know what I mean to some no, degree. No, no, I mean not to just know you. <laughs> no, that's that's not what it is. Um. Emily's not living someone else's ride. No, and that's that is kind of. Sorry, I just want to just to, just to be right. clear. I wasn't I wasn't equating that to, to I transgender. You, I, I meant. I know. I, and I, right. Yeah. No. And I and I don't, I don't like. But I want to make that point. Clear, and that's totally fair. And I apologize. Which is, and and I don't, also way. don't want to speak on your behalf. But there's something in your you. So, for those that don't know, you just wrote a review of Handmaid's Tale season three. Mm-hmm. Which, which is also incre- is the most me thing that I could have possibly done. <laughs> it's an incredible which also, piece. and I'll just yeah, I'll just go ahead and just say what it is and just take it from you. <laughs> also doubled as your kind of coming yeah. out mm-hmm. essay. Yeah, and it was amazing. And I um, thank you. Reached out to you on Twitter about it. And the I, I'm, I'm 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 like emotional thinking about it because the part that really um, touched me the most and why I'm so happy for you is where you said something to the effect of. If you hadn't have done this, you don't think you would have made it to 50. Right. And I know what you mean. Yeah. I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, you know, I've recently gone through some shit myself. It's not the same shit, but basically like I've long had mental illness and uh, finally got a diagnosis. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And That's so powerful. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
horrible choice of words, but it's just, it's, it's, it is, it's really, it's really powerful to have someone actually call it what it is and make me feel like, okay, so these things that I've been thinking forever and ever are not just a product of a broken brain. Mm. They're a product of a particular, in my case, disorder. And in your case, orientation that, um, now makes me feel like I can go forward with my life. Yeah. And so what we're, experiencing are so different but that I'm, I'm that that really emotionally affected me that that idea that i'm so happy for you that like i know you're getting you're gonna get to live your life um that weight being lifted i just live your, yeah, yeah just like yeah. it's the it, it's not even like you obviously speak this more than more than i can but my particular thing it's it's not even like a weight it's just like i just i actually like see i actually see who I am in a way that fits in with the world and with my sense of the world. So, um, you know, I'll turn it over to you, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy for you. Really. It's, it's a language. Like it's a, there's a reason the matrix became this symbol for so many different things. Even though I think, I genuinely think it speaks to Lana and Lily Wachowski's experience as trans women trying to embody themselves struggling in a world that like didn't have language for that. The yeah, matrix. Of, yeah. 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 The yeah. matrix is a language for anytime your life feels false. Like right. there is a, a, a window you could reach through. That's not really a window. It's just like a, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like a, like a, like the mirror in the movie that reaches out and sort of grabs you and, and pulls you into another portal. World. Yeah. It's like a portal. It's not a window. It's a portal. Um, and to a different world. And like, to your point about experiencing the ride, I spent a long time trying not to come out, feeling like, well, you know, there are days I'd rather be a man. There are days I'd rather be a woman. That's still true. There are still – like I went to the to the, to the the mechanic today to get my car fixed and I'm dressed vaguely feminine. I'm dressed androgynous. I'm, I'm talking in a ridiculous voice because I'm trying to train my voice to go in a certain direction and all of that. I'm very aware of how I come across. I went to the mechanic and I was like, I wish anything. I could just be in guy clothes. I could just be like, hey – it's me. How you doing? And like, but I can't do that. I gotta, I gotta be the person I am. And like, so there are still times where I'm like, I'd rather be a man in this situation. But when I started thinking of myself as a woman, when I centered myself as a woman, when I started taking pills to help me become a woman, become is such a fraught word there, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's when I was a person. And like, yes, I would love to experience being Brad Pitt for a day. That would be the rule. I would love to experience being the hot priest for a day. That'd be great. But I always want to come back to this body in a way I didn't before. And I think that that is, that's a thing the matrix speaks to that we understand on that symbolic level of like, I want to be the real person. I don't want to be the construct that society is asking me to be. And like, that's a very trans thing that I think is more universal, but also leads to things like the red pill and where people feel like the real version of themselves is a total shit bag. Right. I mean, I, I just want to also say that I wasn't trying to be reductive of the, of the trans experience sure in any way <laughs> about, or, or, or suggesting that, that it is some sort of a ride. I, I was speaking more to how I feel like, how people ingest art, yeah. how they go yeah. through it, and that idea of of the way that people process it, and 
the enjoyment that they get out of the entertainment of whatever the art is. I certainly was not suggesting that. No, no, that's no, no. The case and like, I, I didn't mean to call you out. No, I didn't think no, that's no, what you're doing. I didn't think you were either. Okay. Uh, but I kind of, but you kind of were. You definitely were. But that was <laughs> that was what you were trying to do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know me too well. That's the problem. Um, no, the uh, one of the reasons I wrote about Handmaid's Tale in my essay was like that was a thing where I was like, so I kind of think of when I was in. Uh, from like 2016 to when I actually came out in 2018 was like this kind of window where I was starting to get a further glimpse into myself. Sort of that portal we talked about, that mirror yeah. into the other world, into the what was the real, the desert of the real. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I definitely like in that space, The Handmaid's Tale just reached out and grabbed me in a way that, you know, other stuff just hadn't. But also – Really what kind of kicked it off was I wrote a pilot with my wife where the protagonist was a teenage girl and it was so easy to mm-hmm. slip into that headspace. And I had always written female protagonists, but like writing as a teenage girl, it was like some part of my brain got stuck at 13 and like writing that gave it permission to start catching up. And like that's a thing the internet does did for a lot of trans people. You went online and you pretended to be, you know, whatever and like suddenly – it wasn't pretending it was, you were finding some more real version of yourself. And um, yeah, I wish I'd interrogated that a little bit more, but obviously I grew up in a place where I grew up in a place in a time where that was very difficult. It is amazing to, you know, I think about the internet in its sort of nascent stages Mm -hmm. um, and how um, freeing it must've been for a lot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It it just, that, that ability to, and I, I, it's funny. My my experience or my history with the internet, truthfully, is I didn't have uh, AIM until I was an assistant. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't on Facebook until I moved here. A, a lot of my sort of uh, social media, what have you, all of that happened to me after I moved here. Mm-hmm. So for me in university, when the internet's coming up, I mean, I wasn't even really downloading music. I mean, I sort of had LimeWire kind of a little bit, but all of that stuff, I just wasn't really locked into it. Um, which isn't to say that I shouldn't have or that there's anything wrong with the people that were, but it just feels like I kind of missed out on something is what I sort of feel like, that I didn't sort of use it to explore myself, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's it's great to see that it was that for you and that it gave you that sort of ability. Yeah, and like, you know, it, like I really started to come to terms with being trans because of specific trans communities on especially Reddit, but other places as well. Like Reddit can also be a force for good in the world, which is weird to say, but um, yeah. I, I love Reddit. Yeah? No, I do. I love yeah? Reddit. Just in general. I think uh, I think it is a force for good and I think the internet's a force for good and I think most tech companies are forces for good. I think that we're – I think that um, it's this bottom 5% or this perversion of all mm-hmm. these things sure. that really mm-hmm. scare me. And I the spend problem, a lot of time on Reddit looking at stuff that I, I like. And the problem is they're kind of the power users. You know, they're yeah, the people who are posting totally. all the stuff and, and, and doing all the comments. Yeah, and, flooding the zone. Yeah. But I mean, some of those communities, like the trans communities on Reddit are generally very good because they're heavily moderated and they're mm-hmm. keeping that shit out. Like it's really, uh, it really was helpful to me to like meet folks there. But like one of the things that I think is similar about the internet and the trans experience and um, the matrix is a lot of the time being trans is feeling like your brain is more real than the rest of you. And mm. that's really true of being on the internet sometimes. And that's really true of being in 
the matrix for sure, where it's just your brain set free in this like mm-hmm. weird playground and you can transcend the limits of space and time and all of this stuff. Like, yeah, like that's the, like a big, there is, that's dangerous. I, I, I just say yes. that in the sense, you know what I mean? Cause you're not experiencing it. If that makes sense. Yeah. You could crawl to, I mean, I'm not just, I mean the internet, I think right. can allow you to crawl inside your, I mean, I'm just going to on a purely like on my own mm-hmm. sort of, you know, with my hypochondria and shit like that. WebMD, no good. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just go down a rabbit hole or get stuck on any number of rabbit holes. The internet begs that of you, mm-hmm. which can't all sometimes isn't healthy. I'm not saying in your, it's really in your weird case. you say that because to resolve last week's cliffhanger, it's Phil who's the Cylon. <laughs> Phil is a robot. Uh, Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no the the but internet that sucks, dude. <laughs> You're right. I know, Fuck I'm, this I shit. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. I think there's. I think there's. I think right. it's just. It's. It's a double edged sword. That's all I, I'm saying. I, it, it, it's a great question. It's kind of. It's. It's kind of a great philosophical question. If you built this machine and. And it and it feeds like ninety five people for the rest of their lives by killing five people. Is that a good machine or not? Right, like, right. It's yeah. the the Ursula K. Le Guin story. Um, the ones who walk away from Homelos, which is it is a perfect society, and the reason it's perfect is because there's a small child who is tortured right. endlessly in a basement. And like, is that a worthy trade off? And the story is about the people who walk away from that. And like, no, that's not good enough for me. Like, a yeah. system where one person suffers is still a terrible system. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's kind of the internet. But at the same time, we don't know a lot about trans identities. Like we don't have a lot of super hard science, but it seems like it's something to do with brain structure. Like literally, this is the most reductive way I can put it, and it is not strictly accurate, but it seems to be a way that resonates with cis people, which is literally I have a woman's brain in a body that seemed male. And because our brains are so powerful – there's just like a lot of ways that your brain gets stuck there and like doesn't perceive the world it feels like it should be, especially once you get to puberty and beyond. Um, some, of course, some trans people figure it out when they're little kids and like, great, good for them. Uh, some of us don't, especially if you are, uh, attracted to, um, like if you feel like you're a straight man, you know, like that's a, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that society is set up to benefit if you feel like you're a straight man. So, it's something to do with the brain and the most powerful thing about this has been mental, has been like all of a sudden – like this is the thing when I say I think I could have lived as a man my whole life in the piece but I wouldn't have made it to 50. It's because I didn't know what I was missing and now that I have the right brain juice, the right hormones in essence, I do know what I'm missing. So if you tried to take it away from me, like I would be fucking devastated. Yeah, I want to make one one other kind of point. That I, I don't think like was made clear, mm-hmm. and I don't think it was implied in any way. But I want to just make this point: you weren't implying, and I wasn't implying, and it's not implied that you were going to kill yourself. No, I was. Um, uh, I was seventy pounds heavier than I am right now. I have a family history of heart disease. Like, there's just all these things. These warnings. I, d- I didn't get that implication either. But no, just, I know. But, I, but, but I think there's there's cl- a, it's clear to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's a there's it's a it's a it's a stereotype. Yes. yes right. Yes. It's a it's an expectation. Right. That trans suicide rates are mm-hmm. higher, and that's not what it was, and and that's what I resonated with. Not that you were gonna kill yourself. Yeah. The yeah. idea was that like you were living an unhealthy life because I didn't yeah. care. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and and. and 
you make that clear in the article, mm-hmm. and I totally think it was yeah. fair for you to make that clarification here. But just yeah, and we we made that. Uh, my editor and I went around and around and around on that to make sure it wasn't like it seemed like I was suicidal, right? Because right. there's a stereotype of trans people being suicidal, and right. there are very high suicide rates among trans people, but they tend to be among trans people who are not affirmed by their closest loved ones, their closest friends. If you are a trans 15 year old and you come out to your parents and they say, no, you're not that we're not going to allow you to do that. You are like at a much higher risk for suicide than like I am, you know, Hmm. someone who has come out and embraced her identity and started taking hormones and all of that stuff. Um, You know, like it, the, the big difference is really, are you affirmed? Are you not affirmed? Certainly there are trans people who don't fit that binary and, uh, have horrible lives and all of that, but like they're on the edges. If we're looking at the stereotypical case, it tends to be based around if you're affirmed by the people you love and especially by your parents, if you're, you know, a teenager or 20 something. Yeah. I, I mean, so I guess I'm sort of curious as to how your, do you feel like your perception of this film has changed based on where you oh, are? Oh yeah. I like, like, when I rewatched it in March, the two times I watched it to write the article and I watched it with you. Yeah. It was so much more like, Oh yeah, this is, this is <laughs> yeah. a trans allegory. Like right. this is, this is a, I don't even know that the Wachowskis knew they were doing it, which yeah. is what kind of why it works. Like by the time they're explicitly making movies that are trans allegories, like cloud Atlas, which my friend, uh, Lindsay Ellis calls the transest movie ever made. Cause it is, yeah, yeah. it's just like how we're all one giant soul. And like, <laughs> You're yeah, friends yeah. with Lindsay Ellis? Uh, yeah. I'm so jealous of you. Oh, she's – I watch all her shit. She's great. Yeah, she's such a genius. Yeah. Um, yeah her, her thing on her thing on Bright's like one of my favorite things ever produced. She's so, so smart. And like the last time I watched Cloud Atlas, I watched it with her because we're like the two people in the world who really love that yeah. movie. But yeah, she's awesome. I feel like Bobby Finger liked it. Yeah, there's, so, there's people who really love it, but you always have to be like, well, there's all this racist makeup. <laughs> there's all this yellow face and like – but you have to see past that, obviously. But that's hard to see yeah, past. It's hard to it's yeah. hard to see past because the thing I always say about Cloud Atlas is it's the greatest movie made, except for all the ways it's the worst movie ever yeah, made. Yeah. And like, yeah, I, it is a movie. I remember. I, I have not read the book, so forgive me. But um, I have a bunch of friends who really love the book, and the book is is they made it sound as though it's unfilmable, for for lack of a better way of putting it, and just mm-hmm. in terms of its it, the sheer scope and size and what have you. Do you not think that it might have been a better miniseries? Do you not think that that if they had the ability to be able to do it as a as a Netflix eight episode, you know, limited, that it might have given them the freedom to be able to sort of because the movie feels and I I do enjoy the film and I and I and I've you know I plan on rewatching it again. Um, it's it it's just you really you got to fight to remember all the threads and all the things that are like it's just it's 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 hard to you know. I think it would, be, I think it would be diminished by being an eight-hour miniseries. Okay. I really do. Like, if you were going to do it as a miniseries, you'd inevitably be, be tempted to bar the structure of the book, which is half of this story, half of this story, and then you get to the center and you do a lengthy story. That's the Tom Hanks thing, and then you come right. back out. Right. And yeah, I just you know I think it needs to be a movie. I think it needs to have that sheer level of like we're trying to keep up with this ungainly thing. You, yeah, that's that is the experience of the viewer, which yeah. which I think you're either you're either game or you're not, you know. And I, and I think that with with each rewatching of any of their films that I do, I find myself finding something new and and exciting about it every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the things about this film that's so exciting, you know. I think that it it never it it, it 
it feels like this evolving thing. All of their movies feel like, like they're constantly changing and evolving as you watch them, which I think is, is a testament to sort of the way that they see the human experience, you know, that it's just, it's never finished and, and, and that it's always, it's always doing new things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean they're 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 tremendous filmmakers, and 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 this film, putting aside the the technical proficiency of it, um, you know, and whether or not they were tapped into what they were doing. I mean, Bound is obviously about a same sex uh, couple, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's tapping into something, mm-hmm. uh, and they cast two androgynous leads in the Matrix that look. Somewhat similar Very to similar. one another. I want to say that so, I want to say know. that Bound is a movie about lesbians that is obviously not made by straight men, and they seem to be straight men, and yeah. like that was, I think, what kind of threw people because it's not. Oh, the Wachowskis at the yeah, time, seem yeah, to be straight yeah. men. Yeah. That's what they presented yeah. as in the public, and like they may, for all I know, their their coming out journey, they may have understood themselves that way, mm-hmm. um, and like. But it's not exploitative. It's not like no, it's overly tender. sexualized. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. super like. Yeah, that is a movie made by women, and like. At the time, nobody said that or thought that, you know, and I think that that is why that's the the kind of the central tension of those early movies of theirs, Bound, the Matrix movies, mm-hmm. even not really Speed Racer, but there is an element in there of like, you know, Speed yeah. Racer is not the movie you'd expect from. No, I mean, when they, when they announced that they were going to do it, I remember it was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, uh, I mean, I was working at UTA at the time and mm-hmm. it was a really I big deal. Too, yeah. uh, Emil Hirsch getting the, getting the, the role in it and, and it just being, I mean, how could it not be, right? It's their first film after the Matrix trilogy. It was going to be huge. Um, and I just quite flatly just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does feel like a little bit of an outlier in their filmography in terms of uh, it feels a little superficial mm-hmm. because it's just so like yeah. glaringly in your face as a visual thing yeah. that you really have to fight to get seizure past inducing. that. <laughs> Some might yeah. say seizure-inducing. Um, that – yeah, I'm not. You know, it's it's an it's clearly an anti corporate message within yeah. Speed Racer, My, but I'm not sure what they're if they're saying anything necessarily on on a, on a gender. Yeah, or, I'm just going to keep quoting my amazing friends, yeah, but uh, yeah, the yeah. amazing uh, trans critic uh, Grace. Uh, I don't know if her last name is public, so she goes by Gem of Amara on Twitter, and everybody okay. should follow her. Uh, she like had just sort of this offhand tweet about how different the world would be if Speed Racer had been the big hit of 2008 yeah. instead of um, Iron Man, which oh, was sorry, the big Iron hit Man. of 2008. And like, whatever your problems with Speed Racer, many people have very good problems with that movie. I love it. I love all these fucking movies, but um, <laughs> I have to, I got to support the team. That's how it works, right? Uh, yeah, it is. For I, your membership. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. But, uh, and just like, yeah, Speed Racer is so, it's trying to do so much it's within so the yeah. confines of what you would not expect. And like, I think Iron Man's a great movie. I love Iron Man, but it is very, um, it establishes a template that we're really just riding Still into the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They came out almost on top of each other too, right? They were like a week Yeah, apart. I think Speed Racer is a week or two weeks later yeah. and Iron Man's still riding high. And then, of course, Dark yeah. Knight comes out that summer. And yeah. It just sort of cements that superheroes are here forever. Yeah, I just don't think anyone saw Iron Man coming. Like, no, I mean, I, I totally I, agree. They just did not think that thing was going to hit on the level that it did. I think they thought it was going to be big, mm-hmm. but it flattened everything in its path for like three, four weeks. It, it, it just – it's just interesting. Well, I, you know. We talked about this in the last movie. In the last one, um, yeah. the first part with kind of Inception and uh, Matrix and we skipped to the Avengers. Yes. Iron Man is another one that mm. is – you know, Iron Man, I guess, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever you want to call it. 
um, where I do think broke the, the mold. In well, forget way. I don't remember the marketing campaign for that at all. All I remember is this is a B team superhero, and why do I even care? And lo and behold, I was there on week one. Same. Um, and I loved it. Yeah. I think that's I true. I was shocked how good it was, and I, I pretty much hated every non Batman superhero movie ever made before that. Um, so yeah, Batman. I mean, Iron Man. Iron Man, I think, came out it, of nowhere. It, it did come out of nowhere. I mean, I, I yeah. think I'd say I don't think it's as influential as Avengers because Avengers is like the movie where everybody's like, oh, you can do a universe. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man, like, people, when they try to replicate it, fall on their face. Green Lantern fell on its face. That is an obvious attempt to redo Iron Man. Um, Shazam was a pretty good movie that is trying to replicate that Iron Man thing, but also, like, didn't make a lot of money. You know, it was kind of a disappointment in terms of Well, there are there I mean not that this is an episode about about Iron Man, but there are some X factors there and I think the biggest one is the Robert Downey Jr. of yeah. it all. I don't I don't think that you know that that anyone expected I mean, I I've, I've loved Robert Downey Jr. for most of his career. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't necessarily surprised that he was great in it, but I don't think that anyone thought that it was going to be what it turned into. And and that sort of Are there any RDJ movies in 99? Um, Probably. Or maybe this was his year of exile. Oh, this is the year he's making Ally McBeal. Well, uh, is my, it? Well, Ally McBeal, I believe, premiered in 99. Um, no, right. He's on Ally McBeal later. But um, he's, he's in Wonder that. Boys the next year. And I feel like Wonder Boys was like kind of that first Welcome Back movie. Yeah. Um, he's in Bowfinger. Oh. And he's in, in Dreams. How exciting. <laughs> Well, uh, one of them is. What was I going to say about that? Sorry, movie? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no problem. The um, to me, Secret Sauce from Iron Man. Maybe this is just just me, but um, my favorite moment from any superhero movie ever was him saying, "I am Iron Man." I remember you saying that to me when it came out. I remember we talked about it, and I, you were just like, "I can't fucking believe he just says he's I Iron think Man it at is the end." Revolutionary. <laughs> That's great. And the thing about the Marvel universe that I love is most of these people do not have secret identities. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. And, well, because that was DC's thing, so they were just like, no, it was them too. You know, yeah. Peter Parker's a Peter Parker's a. That's true. That's true. You're like, right. You know, You're secret right. identity, and um, I, I don't know if this is true in the Iron Man comics. I mean, I know by I know now they refer to him as Tony Stark all the time. Yes. I don't know if before then they did. I don't even know if there were Iron Man comics of any renown before. 2008. Like, I don't know if anyone even acknowledged this character existed before 2008. You know, or even the Avengers, they were, they, they it's were. It's not a name I certainly knew. They were D team. They were, yeah. no, like, even within the Marvel universe, they were D team. You have yeah. the Spider Man team, you have the Fantastic Four crew, you have X Men, and then these losers who include a Norse god. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but him coming out and saying, I am Iron Man was revolutionary. It was another way to do a superhero movie. I mean, the, the movie is. Yeah, it it I think that it established a template. It kind of borrowed a little bit from Batman Begins, but in just in terms of s- some structural choices that yeah. were made, but but I do think that it's I do think that it, it definitely changed the game. Um uh, you guys forgot one oh, yeah? uh Robert Downey Jr. mover from 99 which is Black and White. The James Toback oh, right. So excited. A group of white high school teens become yeah. involved with Harlem's black hip hop crowd. That's probably aged really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm like literally I'm, adapting that show right now. I'm very <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know who we're gonna get to come on for that. That is that the one, most but it's, that it was so sad about that. It's like I have somehow worked myself into a position <laughs> where everything I get like brought 
is that show. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like, black and white, but a TV show. I'm telling you, like, someone's going to be like, hey, we're trying to do black and white, the TV show. Because that guy was an entourage. And it's just like, ugh. <laughs> like, I'm excited to talk about the movie, though. I'm actually curious. I watched the trailer for but it. wasn't Toback and, was like the second guy me dude, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. He's, he was, he he's was, dead now. He's, yeah. he's, he doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been sent to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> I actually, I can't wait to do that movie because, uh, I think it's really kind of funny that there was a moment in time where that was considered really like kind of cutting edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's surreal to me. That whole thing about, Oh wow. What if white people met black people? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The it's, 90s. it's crazy that that was ever like a pitch. Yeah. The nineties is like this height of like, Oh wow. White people and black people. They're so different. They what could. if they had to meet each other? Oh, uh, but I mean, we were too, we were talking, now we're getting real far field, but we, we, we'll get back to that. We're talking about the, uh, the music of 99 a little last mm-hmm. night, Phil we and were. I, uh, and like the billboard charts. And it kind of occurred to me that first of all, the, the, the popular music of 99 is some of the worst music that's ever been produced. It basically falls into two buckets. It's basically two buckets. It's it's pop stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but but that's basically boy band stuff, and Christina and Britney and Randy Moore, and then rap rock, and like so corn, and then there's some like also like really bad rock like Smash Mouth, and so much Are of you calling All Star bad song. <laughs> Yes. You um, did on the Mystery Men episode. We already have, doing yes. it again. <laughs> there is only – Going back for seconds. And Lou Bega and novelty stuff. But and, Lou Bega says trumpet. 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 What, what did you do the last not, song of? I mean who does that? No one else did does it, that. What did he do the, the, the oh, closing credit song of? We just – Stuart Little. Oh, this <laughs> He does like Mambo – He does like Mambo number six for the closing <laughs> credits of Stuart Little. But all of these – All of these – all of these um, oh my God. big hits and share believe was the biggest hit of the year. So forget about that one for a second. But all of these big hits were basically just white people doing really, really bad versions of black people music. Sure. Um, rap rock is like, we're going to take, <laughs> we're going to take rap and rock it up. And like boy bands are just like bad version of the Jackson five and Motown and R and B stuff. And then you have Christian Aguilera essentially doing like, uh-huh. you know, Woody Houston songs and, uh, it was this weird period where white people like were aware that black people existed, uh-huh. knew what they were putting out there in the world, and just taking it, just running with it. I think that uh, all of American culture, political, pop, etc., was set back by roughly the time when the WB existed. Mm-hmm. Just like this is an era of white people being aware that people of color exist and just being like, eh, but we're going to just kind of appropriate some of their stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. We're always the center of the story. Uh, and I don't know why, but the WB just always flashes to me as like this example of like ultra white, like, yeah, they weren't a particularly diverse. Great shows though. Great shows. Great shows. Wait, WB? Not, not tremendously well, diverse, but they had their period where they were the, they were the repository of black shows, right? But they Fox ran at the same was. time as UPN. And like UPN became, yeah. became so much more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Fox was kind of built on it. And then when Fox got big, they're like, oh, we're too big now for black people. Mm-hmm. So they gave it to the WB for a while. Mm-hmm. And then the WB decided it was the Dawson's Creek Network and it gave it to UPN. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was kind of weird the way that It's worked. weird. But it did build up all those networks mm-hmm. because lo and behold, people like seeing different kinds of people on television. Now, when you're about my age, Kenny, you're both about my age. Yes. So you had to have been super into Limp Bizkit. 
You had to have been. Oh, it's so Kenny funny. Kenny loves Nookie. I said, <laughs> I said there were. Did you do it all for the Nookie? I said there were six songs on that Billboard mm-hmm. top five, top fifty-five that mm-hmm. were good, and one of them is Faith by Limbiscuit. The cover. Yes, that's one of the six oh good songs of 1999. Is one of them "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time"? Yes, "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time." I want it that way. Limp Bizkit. Oh, Fly. I want it that way. Great song. Yeah, it's a it's a banger. Slabs. <laughs> um, I believe it was "Fly Away," Lenny Kravitz, and then there were two like "Low Down," uh, "Body Moving" by Beastie Boys, and something else. Like these are like really, really like I'm really um, stretching the definition. 99's the year of "You Get What You Give" by New Radicals, which I think is a really great song. It may not have made. It, it might not have been the top. It was not you get what you give. Where at the end he's like Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. Yeah. They're yeah. all f- yeah. I don't love that part. <laughs> <laughs> you I don't love, love that part. Oh. How do you I'm, not love All Star? Oh, it's um, no. Well, oh, it's of objectively it's terrible. It's terrible. But also objectively it's great. So somebody was blowing out So the Matrix. Stop talking about me, and I'm really upset about that. Somebody. So let's we should put it back on top. Of us. <laughs> Did they have a good song? Walking on people, the sun, people like. Uh, they did. Uh, <laughs> they did. Why can't we be friends? They did. I'm a believer. Um, uh, yeah, for I, Shrek. I called that the worst cover of all time. Okay. That, yes. Yeah. I, I don't whom? doubt it. Someone asked me once what the worst cover of all time was, and I said, "I'm a believer." By because uh, I think it's such a Ash great Ruff. song. I think it's one of the greatest songs by the Monkees. So, what are you gonna do? You should get the. You should get the. <laughs> You should get the Smash Mouth guy on to talk about the out of town. Don't come on, right? Yeah. I, he, I, he tweets at everyone. Does he? He yeah. does. Yeah, he just, he just he just talks some shit about the straight pride parade. <laughs> well, there so, shouldn't be a straight Smash pride parade. Smash Mouth is woke. I'm not kidding you. He really did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he came at him. Good for them. Can you believe there's a straight pride parade? Is, is this seriously it's thing actually, that's it's happening? Gonna, it's happening in Boston. Okay. Of I don't, course it's I don't in Boston. Know if it's, well, <laughs> I mean, that's like – that's as as if Boston is like – I'm kidding. I, I, mean, I, I, hey, I, I hate Boston. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but as if Boston, as if there aren't like you know, go to assholes all over the place. But I don't know if that's really going to happen. They apply for a permit. I think. Oh God, I hope it doesn't happen. I actually kind of hope it does happen. It's going to be one of those things that like fizzles out. Like yeah. you know, they'll like have seventeen the, guys will show up. Yeah, so like seventeen guys will show up and they'll walk down the street and be like, "Yeah, we like chicks." I'm like, <laughs> at least three of them are closeted something. Like yeah. and oh, they're like sure, really keeping sure. it down. Yeah, um, I don't like that it gets any air. Um, like that to me, that's 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 one of the worst things about Twitter, or that like essentially trolls get this like mm-hmm. outside outsized. Uh, it's really the amplification, mm-hmm. and I don't like that these guys get any air because really they shouldn't. It should just in you know the old days it would just be something that no one would even realize existed, and we could forget it doesn't happen. But I I, I remember when the Star Wars: The Force Awakens trailer came out, and there was that that group of people who were really mad about there being a black person, and were like, we're yeah. gonna boycott it. We did the work at Vox and we traced it back to literally two Twitter accounts. Yeah. Two Twitter accounts started. And yes, there were a lot of people that glommed onto it. But most of the discussion was like, we condemn this. Yes. From two Twitter accounts. And like there is an element to when you report on these horrible, virulent yeah. views. You're giving them. You're giving them yeah. oxygen. And like you have to be very careful how you report on them. And one of the things that we didn't do very well in 2014 and 2015 when this seemed like this was – just a pop culture story because getting back to the red pill thing we were talking about last week is we didn't report on them well to be a way to find a way to talk about them without like giving them oxygen because at the time it seemed self-evident that nobody actually thought yeah yeah Yeah. 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 and then i mean just to kind of close the loop on that the red pill part that is why i think some of these men feel like the world is against them 
because I, th- I, and again, I also think this is why I think Trump had kind of the, the, the rise he did because I think I, I get very concerned about the, the reaction to, to this stuff. I hate giving these people oxygen. I hate the amplification of what I consider to be like just such fringy views that I think there are a lot of people who kind of otherwise would have sat probably pretty far right of center, but aren't mobilizing who feel like, don't tell us what to think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, that's, that's, and I know, you know, believe it or not, I know a lot of white guys. What? Tons. Lies. More, no, more than you would believe. And, <laughs> uh, and I sense it yeah. even, you know, even the, the vast majority of my friends are, are, are liberal. Um, and I sense it. I sense that undercurrent of, of, but you know, this undercurrent of like, yeah, yeah Trump's terrible, but which is very frightening to me that, that we've moved the, kind of center of the discussion, at least within our communities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that far to the left, that people who otherwise are kind of in the center are kind of identifying with the right. It scares me very much that I, I, that that it's almost impossible to reason with some people now. Well, so. there's this is dovetails with the trans identities thing because inevitably when I tell somebody, oh, you knew me as Todd, but I'm Emily, they're like, I got it wrong. And everybody hates being wrong. You know, like even mm. you had no way of knowing, but when I come out to you, it feels like you got something wrong. Or when somebody's like, I would really prefer they, them pronouns. It's hard sometimes to make your brain do that. And I have a lot of non-binary friends and I still have times when I screw up and like I kick myself and I feel bad because I was wrong. And there's this very human impulse to shoot the messenger, to be like, mm-hmm. you're telling me I'm wrong about something. And um I mean, we need to be bigger than that. Like, we can't tell people they're wrong about their identities. But, like, there is this, like, this immediate defense mechanism of, like, I don't want to be wrong. I'm going to blame the person who's telling me I'm wrong, even if, like, most of us fight through it. Mm-hmm. There are enough people who are like, I can't get past that. Totally. I can't – you can't tell me I was wrong about you all this time. Um, not to make this about my parents, but <laughs> – But I think there's also – I mean, I, I think that, you know, not to not – to, I mean, pivot back to the matrix, but I think that that's a little bit of, I mean, that is what we're here to talk about. It is, but it's also like, I think that that's the frustration that people have with, but I saw the movie this way and that's the way it has to be. And that's short-sighted and, and narrow-minded, but yeah. When, when I published the article on Vox, um, under my pseudonym, like a lot of the pushback from men was about the red pill section specifically. And they were like, I don't think this is a trans allegory. I think you're reading too much into it. And people would be like, the two directors are trans women. And they'd be like, they no, they weren't. They're just like doing that for cool points or something like that. But like basically they're say that to you. No, not to me, but this was people argue, people arguing on Facebook, you know, that I did not descend into, but like, yeah, like there's definitely this element of people saw the movie one way and they, they took one message from it. And now you're like, well, you can read it another way. People are very, people are frequently very upset by that. And like, especially a movie that was this zeitgeisty, that's this cool. To me, that's the core of critical thinking. And like, that's enough. That's kind of at the core of when we're talking about people saying a movie's problematic. And I have a lot of trouble with the word problematic. I think that it shuts down discussion, but at the same time, I think you can say like, there's a bunch of transphobic jokes in Friends. I think you can still enjoy Friends, and I think you can still. But talking about that doesn't hurt Friends. It like it still exists. It still is a TV show you can watch on Netflix and enjoy. And like, there's got to be a way to talk about this stuff without yeah. people going nuts. I, wanna, you know? I agree with that. I, I want to ask another question mm-hmm. um, about 
the perception of the matrix uh, in society, uh, not really today. Okay. That we've come kind of far on trans issues, but over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you just personally, um, I didn't have this experience with the matrix so much. I had this experience with Against Me. I love Against Me. It's one of my, they're one of my favorite bands. And when Laura Jane, um, transitioned, it was, it felt weird to me, mm-hmm. even though it was obvious in her music, what mm-hmm. she was talking about through most of, uh, most of their time. It felt like, wow, this band I've been repping for a long time is not what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of kind of personal growth. To understand that it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. And I liked them before and I can like them now. And I love them. You know, I've always kind of loved them and never stopped listening to them. But I've only probably in the last three or four years kind of started openly identifying myself as an Against Me fan again. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even just the name Against Me. But uh, I think that there was some of that with The Matrix as well. Mm. Where when specifically when Lana transitioned, I remember when when – uh, Lana first kind of appeared as, uh, you know, ha- after she had transitioned and she appeared for Cloud Atlas stuff. Yep. That was the first time I really remember. I think it might have been, was it Speed Racer? The I Cloud Atlas like- was when her was her first. Oh, was it? She, okay, sorry. The Wachowskis hate doing press. And right, because I remember press, the, the purple. The, they did the a press push orange hair. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I remember standing between Larry at the time and Tom Tickfer. Yes. And that being really revolutionary to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. People hadn't yeah. done that. Yeah. You really hadn't seen someone transition in the public eye that way. I believe it was Andy, actually. Um, oh, sorry. Yes, it was Andy. I believe Lana's yeah. dead name is the one you said. Sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. No, yes. but it wasn't Andy at the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that was kind of revolutionary to me at the time. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, particularly cis, white, straight men, Mm-hmm. Probably felt a little, yeah, baited and switched. Um, or really, I think the word I really want to use is betrayed. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that might have happened, and I think <sighs> it affected the Matrix's public standing mm-hmm. a little bit because I also at this time for the last twenty years, really going back really till three four years ago, transphobia was okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay in the public. For sure. You know, now it's like, it's controversial, but it was cool up until about five years ago. I, you talking about uh, Laura Jane sort of made me think about when she came out. I had a, I had a a trans woman friend who was transitioning that I talked to a lot at the time because I was kind of fighting through my own gender issues. Um, And she, and I had a big argument about whether you should ever use Laura Jane's previous name. I, as a journalist, was like, well, you kind of have to because she was very prominent. On, and I literally don't remember what her name I was. I was just saying, I don't remember what her old name yeah, was. Yeah. And like, like I, as a journalist, was like, you, well, you kind of have to. You have to be like, she goes by Laura Jane now, but she did go by this and she used she used to be a man. And my transfer was like, no, it's not like that. That experience is not like that. Um, and um, I am now in a position where I'm like, yeah, I never like I don't never want to hear my old name again. Like I don't have embarrassment around it, but it doesn't feel like who I am in a way that is is very like there's a lot of violence associated with dragging it up in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, f- not physical violence, but emotional violence. I'm like I get why all of these places that are reporting on me are using my old name. I get it. And there's not that many. I'm not like 
Caitlyn Jenner levels of whatever. But yeah, and so I'm like I've completely done a polarity flip. And I'm a trans person. And at the time I suspected I was a trans person. So it's it's a lot and it's happening so fast that like there there has to be a backlash. And my hope is that the backlash is petering out. To me, as a student of society, as somebody who studies storytelling, it feels like it is, but also usually when it's petering out is when the worst happens. So, yeah. So the plot of the matrix. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I mean, (laughs) no, I don't know. I feel like (laughs) I just, I want to make one more point about about the the transness of it all, which is that, um, uh, in the late nineties, I've just been told this. I don't know that it's true, but in the late nineties, the red pill was estradiol was red. Um, it, it was. Yeah. And that was a, that was a, a, an interesting piece that I read about how, um, it was in fact red. The, I think it's Premarin tablet was mm-hmm. the type of the, the, mm-hmm. the medication, uh, derived in matrix like fashion from the urine of pregnant mares yep. came yep. in smooth chocolatey maroon i actually was having a conversation about how you'd get your hormones after the apocalypse and somebody's like oh you just find some pregnant (laughs) (laughs) like this was they said it so matter-of-factly i was like what that seems harder than you think (laughs) um no now now the primary pill is called estradiol and is blue so now you would take the blue i take the blue pill Mm. it's it is interesting uh yeah it's it's just there's a lot of either I don't know, uh, reductive sort of metaphors that people have pulled from the film for, mm-hmm. for transgender connections. Uh, you know, there's the, the symbolism is relatively easy to find if you want to find oh, it, of sure. course, as, yeah. as we've said. Uh, and Thomas Anderson's double life. He's a hacker by night, his chosen name, Neo, his vague but maddening sense that something is off about the world, mm-hmm. quote unquote, a splinter in your mind. Uh, Morpheus calls it the matrix is gender binary. The agents are transphobia. Like there are, there are ways of certainly unpacking it in that way, which is readily available. Um, I think it's, you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I don't it, it seems a little easy to sure. me sometimes to think about it that way. Not that it's not there, but I think it sort of stems back to what we were talking about in terms of that this text is written in a way, this film is written in a way to be sort of interpreted the way that you want to interpret it. It does, it does feel, you were talking sort of about how like the matrix, the sort of scrolling text of it all feels very biblical in its own way. I think a lot about people who make movies are often obsessed with other movies. And yeah. you could tell their influences are like, 
I love these other movies. Yeah. I kind of I kind of really push back against movies and TV shows that feel like they're assembled from other movies and TV shows. Yeah. And sometimes they're like Edgar Wright is a director I've never quite glommed onto because of that. His really? movies feel put together from other movies. Um huh. I think there's an element of he has a very dude-centric point of view in a weird way that I kind of like struggle with at times. Um, now I'm willing to admit about myself, I guess. Um, but yeah, there I don't is think something... he's a bad director. I no, like no, no, his no, movies. Yeah. yeah, he's very. I mean, I guess there is a there, there is a um, a sort of masculine but it's very beta yeah it's a well, very sort of like beta male emo kind of but, but I, I can see that my yeah. my larger point is the wachowskis their influences are so different yes from yes. the vast majority and like a lot of them are like philosophy texts manga yeah. like these yeah. things that people weren't tapping into at that time and that's why this movie feels so original even though there's a lot of stuff lifted from other sources yeah but also like why you can read it so many different ways. For um, sure. And like, I think that's why it feels like it has real philosophical, rich philosophical depth to it. You know, I think it's also sort of in the way that they've, um, the people they've pulled mm -hmm. together to be in this film are also very sort of interpretive. You know, you can, you can interpret, like, I mean, this might seem, uh, you know, a silly correlation, but like Bill Pope shot the pilot of freaks and geeks. Yeah. You know, Bill Pope shot, Scott Pilgrim. He shot The Matrix. He shot any number of very different types of movies. Now, that's part of being a cinematographer, obviously. But it is also part of like bringing people into the fold that can't be boxed in to mm -hmm. make sure that your film doesn't feel boxed in. I think that that's also very important. It seems important to the Wachowskis mm -hmm. that, that it not – that their work across the board, but maybe specifically this film, that it not feel um, – you know, to sort of hemmed in that it, that it, that it can breathe and that it can grow and change. I think that's where they get in trouble too, is sometimes they feel like, well, the human experience is universal. So we can write about yeah. anything or anybody. There are things about the human experience that are universal, but they sometimes box some. I felt that way Absolutely. about some of sense eight where like they were writing about stuff that was like, you read an article about this. <laughs> so I that's mean, that's not the right way to write. <laughs> no, that's not how you write. <laughs> That is how I write. <laughs> <laughs> when you make the TV show version of Black and White, you can just like Google um, what are black people like. You wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> just write that. Just Google yeah. it. You don't want to see my search history. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, um, if we start at the beginning of this film and how sort, I mean, we, we we've talked in a roundabout way about a lot of the stuff that's in obviously that's in the film, but to to sort of go through it chronologically anyway. I think that, you know, we talked about the opening sequence, but it, it's, and it's also funny too, because we talked a little bit dark city mm -hmm. and they, they use some of their sound stages. They, they use some of their sets and, and the film does start in a very noirish vibe. I mean, it's all at night. It's got these you know, very sort of specific kind of the rain and this, yeah. it, it's all very, uh, the, the focus on the sign, which comes full circle at the very end of the film, the uh, heart of the city that they have. And all of that stuff feels very sort of, Noirish, for for lack of a better way of putting it, um, you know, Trinity gets to really pop in this opening sequence, and then she kind of takes a backseat to Neo a little bit as, as quite frankly, the series progresses. Um, and it's a, and, and I will say that this time rewatching it, I did find myself a little bit bummed out. Might be the wrong way of putting it, but at the end when she says, you know, the Oracle told me that I oh, would God, love yes. that I would love the person, the one. It's a little bit. 
I'm unfortunate. Okay, <laughs> okay. You can be okay with it. I'm not, I don't hate on it, but it just feels a little bit like, do we need the female character to do that? I don't think their love story feels particularly earned, which makes it. Yeah. Like I don't mind it. I think yeah. it had. I think it pays off in interesting ways in the second and third movies. But also, yes. like it feels like it's. It feels like a studio note when it happens. Like he movie. does love her. I don't question Neo's yeah, love for her, they, but it's not romantic. It's not passionate. The idea that it's one of the all-time great loves, which yeah. the movie's really trying to sell. Yeah, it's, I don't it doesn't. It doesn't. I, that, but maybe maybe Kenny doesn't. Well, I don't agree. know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I I had the same feeling that you did, Emily. The, the uh, basic idea of. We may not have gotten here. Mm-hmm. I think Carrie Ann Moss gets you there in that scene. She's um, very good in it. I do. I think she sells that moment really well. Um, mm-hmm. So I think she know. also to, to to just to give props to Carrie Ann Moss, who I do think is great in the series. Fantastic. Um, spoiler: her death in Revolutions is fantastic. Oh, I mean, yeah. she really, really sells it. The my favorite moment in the whole trilogy. Is actually from my least favorite movie, which is Revolutions, when she breaks up above the clouds and sees the sun and says, wow, like, yeah. Yeah. it's a beautiful it's, moment. It's, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It's tough when a person breaks like that, when that's kind of her breakout, because she never really had the career. She, she, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. nervous for, um, for Daisy, uh, Ridley, Daisy Ridley in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard when you're so associated with one particular character and one particular it's look. true. Um, cause really the only other thing I ever really remember loving her in was Jessica Jones. Yeah. I was just gonna so, say that's the only thing that, I mean, she's, she's good in Memento. Yeah. She's good. Oh, Memento, of yeah. course. But that, but that was in the middle of it. Yeah. And no. also, I mean, pretty, I don't know how to feel about that character. She's very good in it. I don't know how to feel about uh, any of the characters in that movie. movie You're not, rules. I'm not saying it doesn't rule. Yeah. I'm just saying, anyway. Um, but, yeah. Tasha Robinson calls my former colleague, Tasha mm-hmm. Robinson calls this uh Trinity syndrome. The idea of like, there's this strong, super capable woman and then she's sort of shoehorned into being the love interest for the yeah. guy. And like, I think Matrix does it better than a lot of these movies. But it became an exemplar of a trend that people, yeah, well, like wild, like, like wild style and like like a movie. That was what yeah. caused Tasha to write that. Yeah, yeah it's well, then I may all. I may have read that piece because <laughs> there were yeah there were a bunch of them. It, mm-hmm. it couldn't have been more stark once I read that piece. It's it is interesting too how you know Reloaded opens with a sequence. Mm-hmm. That is sort of trying to kind of mirror like Trinity is a badass in the opening, but it's truncated in such a way because of the structure of the film that they kind of were like, oh, and then she's falling out a window. Like it, you, you just – it never yeah. fully gels. Mm-hmm. Um, and her death in that film, it, it's just interesting because I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you and also saying that it feels like Trinity just doesn't ever fully totally get her due. Mm-hmm. She starts so fucking strong, and that opening is one of the best openings I, I would argue of a film ever. Like it just opens like a bat out of hell with this unbelievable female character, um, and then she kind of and 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 it leads into you know the next major portion of it is you know Neo wakes up, yeah, he follows the White Rabbit. I love the White Rabbit tattoo. I've always loved that tattoo. I think it's awesome. He goes to the club. Rob Zombie blasts, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and she basically, and he says, you know, oh, I thought you'd be a dude, and she's yeah. like, and then she kind of doesn't the, uh, do a ton. Of I do. I don't want to keep you from discussing the plot of the Matrix film, yeah, but I no. do want to ask how you guys feel about Keanu as a performer because there's this real resurgence. resurgence of people online, uh, people on Twitter being like, he's a great actor. And I think that he can be a great actor. I, I I think that when he's in his lane or or when he's in his pocket. There's no one doing what he does. Um, I think his career is interesting 
I mean, that's, that's a, a, you know, he's had a real roller coaster ride in terms of he's had several resurgences that just when people thought he was dead or his career was dead, it comes back up, you know, in a, in a whole new way. You know, I, I stand by one of my favorite performances is still Parenthood. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's, I, I think that there is a, a lovability to him that, that we don't see as much. And, and ironically, or maybe not ironically, the most recent in uh, Always Be My Maybe, he shows this sweetness um, that we don't see enough of him do because he's an action hero sort of and that's kind of the associations that we have with him. But I would love to see him do more things like that. I'd yeah. love to see him show the softer side of him. He's wonderful in My Own Private Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got some really interesting performances. He's terrible in Dracula. It's one of the most infamously <laughs> worst performances. And – it's interesting. I think he's great in speed. Like, I just think there's a oh, lot of really interesting in stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's just. I think we're lucky to have him. I think he's a really interesting I'm performer. Really excited to see him in this Bill and Ted three. Yes, I think, sure. I think he's a great comedian I do in too. a weird way. I do too. Um, I I kind of like the Angelica Bastian argument that he's like a great physical performer, if maybe not a great line reader, and like that yeah. really comes through in movies like this, but also like the John Wick series, yes. his latest resurgence, yes. where like. We all remember how much we love watching him move around. Yeah. You know, he's so – there's a dancer quality to him that's so fascinating. Yeah. And there's he, also – sorry. Can I say one quick other thing? Um, the moment he had on Colbert recently yeah, where he was asked about what happens when we die and he says, I don't know what happens but the people that love us will miss us. Like there's just – there is something about him. There's a Zen master quality. There is. Him. Yeah. That I just – I think there he's is. just very human. Um, Keanu Reeves – all right, so I love Keanu Reeves, yeah, yeah. like everyone else in the world, and I think uh, I think when he's when he's playing at the top, he's awesome. I love watching him, um, and I love Speed. I love him in Speed. There, he, he doesn't seem like a human. He doesn't sound like a human. He doesn't act like a human. It's so perfect for that movie. So it, it makes that movie run. Yeah. Um, the reason I think he's more than he's bargained for is because of uh, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. I forgot um, he was in that. Yeah. Romancing Diane Keaton, yeah, in real life too. Really, apparently, I don't know about that. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, they had a uh, thing. Apparently, that's lovely. Yeah. I believe him yeah. Be- because there's yeah. it, it, there's just something about about the way he played that character, open, honest, big hearted. He was a doctor. He played the he played an intelligent character for once in his career. Um, and that Neo is not really so much an intelligent character. He's he's a he's a magical character. Yeah, you know, like ultimately he's Jesus, so he's like a magical character, yeah. right? Who's kind of divinely, you know, uh, given his his powers. But I I think that really kind of speaks to what you're talking about with Always Be My Maybe, um, where there is another and 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 like he did that in those kind of cheesy movies with Sandra Bullock too. But there is another version of Keanu that um may emerge more as he gets older. When yeah. the Jurassic World movies came out and it seemed like the next big thing was going to be randomly rebooting 90s franchises because it looked like Independence Day Resurgence was going to be huge, which thank God it wasn't. I was like, speed. get Keanu and Sandra Bullock back at do speed three. I think it would kill. I think people would love it. I think it. you still could. I don't, I don't think that that's – I don't think that Independence Day killed any possibility. It of that. would kill. They'd have to be on a train, I think. <laughs> train Isn't that they unstoppable? Train. They could be on a plane. That movie rules – Unstoppable yeah. is a good movie. Yeah, no, those, I wasn't shitting on it. Was that Tony Scott? Yeah. Those Tony Scott Denzel movies, just like boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Love them. No, I'd love to. Speed 3, 100%. I think that, and I, 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 $100 bet, million you, I, opening bet, he, I bet he comes back. Because mm. obviously he didn't want to do Speed 2, and there's the infamous Speed 2 is not good, but <laughs> not uh, smart either. Yeah. No, but yeah, I, I think that Keanu, 
I'm, I'm thrilled to see him getting this resurgence. I think it's great. I hope that he takes a first spin and starts taking, he took a lot of swings in his career and a lot of them didn't work because people couldn't see him in a, in a, outside of that very specific way. But I'm hoping that, first of all, he doesn't look his age. I mean, mm-hmm. he keeps spectacular. Yeah. So I'm excited to that, see uh, It's because he takes swings that he's still a star. Because, like, yeah. you know, I mean, certainly, uh, what was it, Seven Ronin? Certainly yeah. that was a swing. But, yeah. like, John Wick's a swing, too, and that one paid off. It's so. true. Yeah. You know, they, there was a thing on Twitter, something to the effect that he's worked with 13, I believe, female filmmakers. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas like, I think like, what was it like Clooney's worked with one or like all the other major, not all the other major, but like most of them, many major male movie stars have worked with one or zero. Yeah. And, uh, there's something that too, you know, there's also something to like the fact that there was a movie named Keanu that wasn't about Keanu Reeves. Like there's something about just the idea of Keanu Reeves that is, I think speaks to that quality. He's mythic. (laughs) There's something about him. That's, it's just amazing. Um, he meets Trinity. Trinity tells him about Morpheus. <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's an hour and four minutes. We gotta find him. Some we gotta, we'll make it. We'll, we'll, it's gonna be great. Three parter. <laughs> um, most people know the plot of the fucking Matrix. So I'm not gonna be like. I'm not gonna. You know. But I just. I, I do want to sort of hit some points that I do love. Um, and and one of them is the robotic bug that you were talking about. Oh, I love that bug. The bug's great. Um, and love that bug. And the bug, the extraction of the br- the bug is is also fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite shots is the. Uh, the rain uh, bridge him and, and them coming to pick him up in those beautiful old like Lincolns with the yeah. doors that open out the, which is just the fucking coolest. Um, my, uh, my fantasy is a, a beautiful androgynous woman extracting a bug out of my belly button. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's all I want in life. <laughs> and for her to call you copper top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's great stuff. Um, and then we, then Neo meets Morpheus and we have obviously the big scene, the big red pill, blue pill scene. Um, and we will, we will dissect this in, in, in more detail on our, uh, MTV movie awards episode, but the sex in the city matrix, uh, mashup that they do at the top of that show is real weird. And, uh, I'm not sure that it totally works. I don't know if it works that well, but, <laughs> but there's a couple jokes in it that I liked. And one of them was, I am Morpheus. I am Carrie. I don't know. There was something about the way that Sarah Jessica Parker delivered that line that made me laugh. She could do no wrong. She kind of – at that That's point, actually how I truly feel. Like she so. was just kind of killing it in 99. Uh, Jimmy Fallon doesn't do a great Keanu, speaking of uh, Keanu. <laughs> uh, but – so he gets sort of this uh, red pill, blue pill thing and uh, he takes the pill obviously. The One of the things that I loved back in the day was the mirror sort of – they do just – the perfect amount of Alice in Wonderland, yeah. like just enough for you to feel real smart, <laughs> but at the same time, also not hit you over the head with it too hard. The, the, you know, he obviously says you must feel like Alice. You do have a mirror. You do have him going through the, you know, the looking glass, all that sort of stuff. Like it's there. Um, but it's done in such a clever way. Uh, well, it almost, in a weird way, it almost has to be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? If yeah. you didn't, if, if, if you didn't wink at it one way or another, it would almost look as if you didn't know, like you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I agree. It's it's just enough. It's just yeah. enough to be like we recognize this influence, um, and you will too. So I, and I thought that was great. Um, him waking up is real upsetting. I'd that, make one more point about yeah. it too. The fact that it all happens within the matrix means that the characters understand what they're doing. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's not even necessarily a quote unquote Wachowski choice. Mm-hmm. It's the choice of the characters who are kind of building this world within. 
you know, to lure, to lure Neo. So I think that's. And they give you just enough exposition so that you're like, okay, I think I keep up. And then you get a whole bunch of, you get like visuals of like the weird spider creature and stuff. And you're like, what's going on? And then there's another stretch of no exposition. And then you get more. And like, it's such a smart way to handle. Well, and it's also just to sort of piggyback on what you're saying. There's this, this something crazy happens, an explanation. Okay. I get it. Then something crazy that, that if if it was too crazy would completely throw you off the fucking yeah. thing, but it's just crazy enough that it keeps you intrigued mm-hmm. to figure out what the fuck that means and why that's happening. I mean, I think at this point, you know, obviously he wakes up Nebuchadnezzar. Welcome to the real world. Um, the, probably the most expo heavy portion of the film is when he goes back into the matrix with Morpheus and he mm-hmm. really Forgive me. Downloads him on everything that's that's kind of my favorite part of the movie in a weird way. But it also works. Is the Mm -hmm. thing like in lesser hands in in people that aren't making it visually interesting with actors who don't know how to deliver this dialogue. I mean, this is why Lawrence Fishburne is the only person I can imagine doing this. Like, I just it's not to say that Samuel Jackson isn't a great actor. He is, but I just don't know that I that him. That's not what I want. Yeah, it's not what I want. I don't. There, there, there's a very subtle difference between these two guys, and and it's the difference between Nick Fury and Morpheus, which is basically yes. like Nick Fury That's is a perfect is, way of putting it. Is a, is a, and Samuel Jackson is kind of like a human cartoon character. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. He works perfectly we love him for, for Nick. That. I yeah. do. I yeah. love him for yeah. that. But you know, he's the guy who says, "Get these motherfucking snakes off my motherfucking <laughs> plane." And Lawrence Fishburne would never do it. Lawrence Fishburne, on the other hand, is Furious Styles, yeah. right? Lawrence Fishburne is. Every in every movie he's in, he's an authority figure. He is never put upon. He's never to be taken not seriously. So even when he's playing Ike Turner, it feels vaguely Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah. Like he feels yeah. like he's stepped down off the stage yes. every time. Here, yeah. There's there's a there's a, a not just a gravity to him. There's a humanity. There's a soul to him. I mean, I just I, I started rewatching Hannibal. Um, oh yeah, because of <laughs> Blankcheck doing uh, Manhunter. I was like, oh yeah. my god. He's so fucking good as Crawford. I mean, what he brings to that performance, this, this sort of, there's like a, a depth to his, to his eyes and this soul to him. And yet at the same time, you're like, I want to see him on top of a fucking truck on a freeway with a samurai sword. Yeah. Like, it's just, just so. I, I want to make one more yeah, point, yeah. not just to compare all black actors to a black actress of a, of a, of sure. a certain age to each other, but of course, uh, there's also the Morgan Freeman thing, right? Which is the voice of God. Right. So that like Lawrence Fisher doesn't give you the voice of God, which is super fucking important for this character. You need an authority, but he also needs to be fallible and potentially wrong for this movie to work. Mm-hmm. If Morgan Freeman was delivering that dialogue and then getting tortured, I obviously Morgan Freeman's not the right guy for this movie, but that yeah. that 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 idea never would have come across. It never would have come across Samuel Jackson. Gary Oldman doesn't even like give me anything like, you know, and that's yeah. actually like by design, I think from him. Well, he's, yeah, he likes to be an enigma. Yes. That's his whole thing. But um, I, I think, and, and not to, you know, again, be reductive, but like Lawrence Fisher is also incredibly cool, like in a way that this movie needed. And it's not to say that everyone else in this movie isn't cool. But there's unlike just, Samuel Jackson, he never fucking tells you how cool he is. He doesn't, you know, he's just like, yeah, I, I know I'm, Fucking cool. Anyway, so it's at this point that we learn about, you know, they scorch the sky and humans are batteries and it's awful. The baby 
is one of the most haunting images I think in the whole film. The baby that's in the pod that's mm-hmm. being milked for all of its it's it's incredible stuff. Um, there's also a subtlety to the fact that like even in death we are some sort of like a power fuel system. I think is also very interesting, um, and the fact that they don't really hit you over the head with it. I don't know. It's just all, it's all really, really, really well done. Um, I think that one of the reasons that David Sims loves these movies so much is the rules. Oh, the the man great. loves rules and the rules are really rock solid in all of these movies. Mm-hmm. You're never confused. I, why? That's why I really don't like the end of reloaded. And uh, why? Cause you break the rules when Smith goes into, oh, the, when real Smith world, goes into the real world. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah. I thought that was really fascinating in the moment. Again, yeah. like that, then plus, they that, plus the ar- that plus the architect was like, oh, so the rules are changing. You're going to give me a new set of rules. No, they don't really do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, I sort of, I agree with that to a, to a certain degree. I guess I'm, I, I guess it's more back to what you were saying about how, like with Inception, they are, they constantly feel like they need to tell you where you are yeah. in a way that I don't, I mean, that felt like studio notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need area, uh, Ariadne, Aradne, what's her name? Ariadne. Yeah, yeah, Ariadne. Uh, constantly being like, where are we now? What level are we on? And all that sort of stuff. This movie doesn't hold your hand no. in the same way. It just is like, these are the rules, and this is how it's going to play mm-hmm. out. Um, one of them being that uh, if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, which obviously makes super sense. Super important rule. Super clear. Um, also, I mean, I don't know if they do this. I don't think they do this. You could potentially break that rule. Like well, he does sort of. Yeah. So yeah. every rule. I mean, that's the other thing about like these rule heavy worlds. Some of these rules do exist to be broken, and you go, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, like yeah. Neo, you know, not being able to pull the thing out of Neo's yeah. head, for instance. But yes. So um, then, I love then I think honestly, um, one of my favorite moments in in this film, and I think we talked about this after we saw it, is the ramp up mm. when they're all going back into the matrix for him to meet the Oracle and the camera spinning over them while it's spinning around the telephone. And then it cranes around and the fucking music is blaring. And they just look like the coolest fucking people in the world when they're revealed all in their like leather outfits. Just, it just, every time I see it, I'm just like, this is the fucking coolest. Switch is white leather. Leather yeah. is so it's fucking just, cool. Like, I just want to live in this movie. It's just the fucking coolest. Uh, he goes and meets the Oracle. She tells him, you know, sorry, kid, you're not the one. Um, you skipped over the cipher scene. Which no, is... no, it's coming. Oh, really? The, oh, wait, you're talking about the cipher scene with Smith. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, I did skip over that scene. I love that scene. I think it's the it's most human scene. moment in these movies. What's it's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm stealing that from somebody, but like it's, literally it feels like the one scene where somebody's like super fallible in a human way. You know? I also kind of wonder if – and it's implied a little bit, but is Cipher in love with Trinity? And this is like he's pissed that she's. Oh yeah, I think it's explicit. You think it's okay? Yeah. No, okay. no, no. Like not, I'm not just like I think. It, I think he yeah. explicitly says something to that to that effect. That well, it's it's in his big scene, which is coming up in a bit when they're all unconscious and he's and on the he's phone on and he's killing and he jumps on top yeah. of her and he says, "You're he is caressing." You're probably right. It, it's pretty. It's pretty obvious, but it's still. But it's I still don't think that's why I did what he did. I don't either. I think eating gruel is yeah. what he did. <laughs> I also love that you can just upload things into people's brains, like uh, like yeah. the Matrix is just yeah. a giant wiki how. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it's, it's, it's amazing great. the way they they figured all of that stuff out before yeah. the real world kind of figured that stuff out. You know, yeah. There's also just the like, there there's a lot of 
kind of penetration going on in this movie that the the thing when mm-hmm. it first goes into his head every time it still gives me the fucking willies it's the it's the sort of that noise and the him he doesn't scream but there's this high pinched squeal it's it's just really it's it's this sort of it's it's biological and technology it's these two things being sort of like it's and and it's that's in the movie sort of on on mass but i do think it's i do think it's uh i think it's great um the oracle tells him that or warns him that he's gonna have to choose between morpheus's life and his own um I love the Oracle scene, as I said. I think it's one of the best. I also just love her seeing what was really going to bake your noodle as if I hadn't <laughs> said anything, would you have still broken the boss? It's just great stuff. Um, and then there's the ambush and the scene with Cypher that we're talking about. What I love about it, too, is the defenselessness mm-hmm. of our heroes trapped inside their own bodies. Mm-hmm. That idea of them all lying down yeah. and unable to fight for themselves – is also a, a pretty amazing metaphor unto itself. Don't want to say anything about trans identities, but <laughs> yeah, you know, this movie's not saying anything about uh, about the trans <laughs> experience. Um, and and Joey Pants is just great in that scene. It's just like he just really—I don't know—he's having a blast and he's chewing the scenery, and I think he's great. I don't. You don't love him. Lo- I don't love the casting. Really? Yeah, and I generally like him, but. Um, and I do like – it's weird because I, I like him and I think he did a good job. But I also feel like everybody aboard the Nebuchadnezzar with the exception of uh, Tank and Dozer. Dozer, his brother. Were chosen, right? They yes. were chosen yeah. to be – Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yep. Yeah, they were chosen to be kind of uh, – what, what would you call it? Like unplugged? Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that guy was chosen. I used to moderate an internet forum. And when you're on an internet forum, there's always somebody who's so annoying about wanting to be a moderator that you eventually add them as a moderator. Mm-hmm. And you regret that you've done it, but also they're pretty good at it, so you just let it keep going. That's how Cipher. All right, got, yeah. yeah. He just I buy that. Found Morpheus. He was like, I really want. I really want to. Sure. Be I really want to figure out what the Matrix is. Just tell me, man. Just <laughs> Joey Pants is that guy. Yeah. No. Now yeah. I get it. Now I get it. And Morpheus <laughs> is just like, fuck. This is a mistake. Let's yeah. do this. He'll be less annoying here than yeah. he is on the end. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, they capture Morpheus. In one of the best, most disorienting shots in the movie mm-hmm. is the shot when he blasts through the wall. Holy shit! And the the camera is doing something that I still don't completely understand. It's so it's an amazing moment and shot. Um, awful sort of uh, the aerial shot of him being beaten up by all of the agents. Um, and then they, then tank proposes they kill Morpheus. That's the only way to save Zion uh, to which obviously Neo says, no, this can't be a coincidence. She's blah, blah, blah. Then they go, into the lobby sequence and we have sort of this amazing shooter in the lobby sequence, which is incredible. But I have to say that it's unfortunate that it reminds me of Columbine. It is unfortunate for you. It is unfortunate for, yes, I, 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 I agree. It isn't, but it, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was only a couple weeks after, right? It was, oh, it was yes. before it. No, it was after, after they were inspired by this sequence. Oh, 
That's why I can't help but think about it. That's not actually true. The whole thing about that the Matrix caused them to do it was like a thing that. Well, I wouldn't say that caused them to do it, but right. but uh, sorry, inspiration was probably the wrong way to to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they the were wearing black trench coats. Thing. They were wearing that. It made I mean, people think of the Matrix. Right. Yes. There was there was yes there was some sort of a connection between these two things. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not anyone, I mean, the kids were all killed. Mm-hmm. So Wait, we'll when never was know the movie them. released? This was March 31st and, and Columbine, Columbine was, was April. three months later or three weeks Columbine later. Yeah. April 20th. 20th. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just – for what it is, it's just something that unfortunately I make that correlation. You probably would – It's not the movie's fault. You probably wouldn't have a shootout like this in a movie today. Like You didn't have it in Reloaded. I mean yeah. Neo never shoots a gun in Reloaded, which yeah. feels like something that the Wachowskis – That's a very conscious choice. Consciously did, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. which is and, – and, and we talk about that lobby sequence. That lobby fight in Reloaded is one of the best fights in the movie and there isn't a gun fired. And again, you're talking about the Ebert review. Again, I think the Wachowskis agreed with a lot of his criticisms in a it's, weird it way. That way. <laughs> but also I think that's where the story was progressing naturally yes, in these yes, movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, at, at first I read stuff that said that, that Keanu – didn't want guns, but I don't think that's because John Wick shoots a lot of guns. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but you know, either way, I'm I'm glad that that they heard what transpired, you know, in terms of Columbine and whether or not it would. And I like that they made the choice. I, for what it's worth, I think that that's interesting. I don't. Okay, I think it's a good sequence. I think it's a sequence that's aged the most weirdly out what of this has? whole movie. The, the, the Bobby shootout. I agree. Mm-hmm. I just you know, I don't like giving any again. Don't like giving any air to the idea that movies cause. This kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm saying that by making that change, Mm -hmm. by consciously letting like the, the, the outside world affect your art, you're letting them censor you. Um, if they were going in that direction anyway, that's cool. But if they turned a gunfight into a knife fight or a gunfight into a kung fu fight, that feels like you are validating the point of view, which makes me very uncomfortable. I, I, I understand that. And I'm, 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 I guess what I'm saying is that movies can be very powerful mm-hmm. and there are people out there, unfortunately, that, that don't know how to process what they're seeing sometimes. And I'm not blaming the films and I'm not saying they should change. But I think that if the Wachowskis were able to find a happy medium that felt like they could tell the story they wanted to tell, I, I, personally speaking, I'm just I'm, – I'm not a gun person. I don't particularly I, – Do you I, put guns in things you write? I mean, I, I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm no, I know you're not. Uh, it, it, yes, I'm, I'm sure I have. Um, but I also understand people that aren't comfortable with them. You know, we, we had this, you know, on Sleepy Hollow, there were a lot of people that were on some characters that were uncomfortable holding guns and, you know, we, we wrote around it. So, you know, I, I understand both sides. Of the I don't argument. mind being collaborative. That's a little different to me, mm-hmm. but, um, no, I don't want anyone telling me things I can't do because of, you know, perceived societal, Societal, the perceived societal effects of, of what I write. I get that. And, I mean, every episode of Sleepy Hollow did end with Ichabod and Abby ranking their top five guns of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all they did. saw how the rankings changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie yeah. really is about everything, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so while rescuing Morpheus, Neo gains confidence in his abilities, performs feats, blah, blah, blah. I, I also want to say that I don't think that, I don't want to say that there's nothing cooler, but the helicopter sequence. Oh, yeah. Is rules awesome. fucking amazing? The ripple like water of the of the the mm-hmm. glass of the windows when the helicopter smashes into it again, uh, perfectly disorienting because you you 
it took me several rewatches to understand where we were when she smashes into the glass because you have to think about the logistics of where it all is. But it's so fucking cool that you don't care. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just beautiful. I don't know. Like this is, and I, I certainly don't want to open this Pandora's box, but I'm going to open it just to crack to say, this is why I don't love Michael Bay. And because the action sequences, what did that guy do? The action sequences like this, that feel like just a beautiful ballet, a symphony where you understand the logistics, the geography of what's going on. And it's just fucking amazing. Will always trump for me a chaotic scene that's chopped up into a million fucking pieces where I'm looking at things just twisting and exploding and I can't actually tell what I'm actually seeing. And maybe it's because I'm older. I told you two days ago, Michael Bay's only made one good movie. It's true. He does. I'm not not riding for him. No, no, I just, but but I'm, I'm, I'm really just making a a, a stark comparison between the type of action filmmakers, the, the James Cameron's and the Wachowski's versus, you know, your, your more music video esque action directors They're, and it's a choice it's a taste thing and i understand both sides of it but i, I just think there's something what's your there. favorite bay the rock okay yes <laughs> what's yours probably pain and gain what yeah <laughs> that's not what i expected uh, I, I think that movie's a lot of fun <laughs> i don't like pain and gain uh, and i'm the world's biggest rock I think fan the rocks, i think the rock's good um and obviously mark Wahlberg's a close personal friend but i think the rock the is, yeah well yeah i think the rock's good i i kind of like armageddon even though it's so bad yeah it's i like armageddon so too bad. uh transformers 2 is the worst movie i've ever seen in theaters so is it yeah so i like uh i mean i love the rock i think it's like one of the three greatest action mm-hmm. movies ever made and uh, i think bad boys is very good um so those bad are the boys two no bad boys one those are the two movies i like <laughs> And then Armageddon, I like for sentimental reasons. I can tell that story real fast. Basically, I watched it on a plane and uh, for the first time, and my dad was sitting in a different section of the plane. Me and my sister were in one section. My dad was like downstairs in like business and we were in couch. Your dad got the first class. It was like- We were flying back from South Africa, 18-hour flight. Me and my sister and coach, my dad and my mom were in business class. I love you guys. You guys are the best. My dad found me. And my sister upstairs brought us into like the galley and he's crying having watched Armageddon and saying like, this is what it's all about, kids. This is what it's all about. Giving us a hug. We're like, I'm like 15 at the time. Maybe a little old. I was like 17. I'm like, all right. So Armageddon plays my heart. Um, That's fantastic. Outside of that, I don't think he's made a good movie. But imagine if when Neo is swinging on the rope from the helicopter, if don't want to miss a thing kicked in. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm sure there's a YouTube clip of that. Better. It, it might have. Fans of the show, please edit. Please put that fast. together. That'd be great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Morpheus and Trinity exit the Matrix before Neo can. And you have – it's like a Western. There's literally like a moment where a, where newspaper rustles by that looks like a tumbleweed. And they have a huge fight. Yeah. And uh, – you know, then you've got your, your subway. Do you hear that sound? It's the sound of inevitability. Uh, and he says, my name's Neo. He jumps out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just the Senators, the Senators, the Sentinels are attacking the Nebuchadnezzar. I don't, I will say this. It's one of my bigger issues with revolutions. I don't love the Sentinels. They always, they just look so sci-fi channel to me. I mean, the evil beast is, of course, sperm. You have to like, they do look like sperm. So they I'll give you, you that. Be Metal sperm. That's how it works. <laughs> Metal That's sperm. That's how the Matrix works. Uh, and yeah, okay. So then we have our Trinity scene where she whispers to Neo, you know, you can't die because I love you. Yes. 
And she brings him back to life mm-hmm. with her kiss. Um, you know what? That's that. That's actually progress because it's usually the man bringing the woman back to life with that's a kiss. That's a good call actually. There's, there's, there's a that's, that's great actually- YouTube video about coming to appreciate the Matrix sequels that talks about the use of bringing somebody back from the dead in this series and how it becomes progressively – more about some philosophical trope and like that is why this person learned to love them. It's like Just Right, I think, is the name of the channel. Um, look it up. It's great. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then Neo beats him and, you know, uh, and then he he calls them on the phone and says, hey, I love hey, the way Neo. The world is anything is possible. I love the way Neo I love the end. Oh, that he goes inside him? No, well, not that so much, but the way he just kind of calmly starts blocking all the punches. And if you think about it, like, they couldn't have guns in the second movie because now he, like, just. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no. That's a very good point. It stops being a story obstacle. Yeah. I mean, he can, he just flies real fast. Um, yes. And then he, then the wake up is like, as I said to you, <laughs> the, the most prescient thing was realizing the only rap rock group that would age well was Rage Against the Machine. Machine. Can you imagine if it was Corn at the end? <sighs> oh, I know. I mean, even Rob Shit Zombie, strange. which I love. I actually like, uh, I like, I like, the you Rob- know too much about me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> the Rob Zombie needle drop works for me. I, actually, I mean, I actually love that song. It's, it's kind of, it's a stupid song, but I love it and it works, but that's Rob Zombie's not trying to be anybody except Rob Zombie. It's, that is true. As far as I know, I know we need to do the end of the show, but I want to, yeah. I want to, everything we've talked about in this has been about mm-hmm. the idea of art influencing reality, reality influencing art, the way that this movie was taken apart in terms of gun culture, trans culture, um, red pill culture, all these, these messages this movie imparted to the larger world. And I want to talk with you guys just a little bit about the chosen one mythos that this yes. movie deliberately yes. plays around with. And that I think has been very kind of harmful and poisonous to our culture. Not this movie specifically, the trope as a whole, Yeah, the idea of the white boy from middle of nowhere, who's secretly the one who's going to save the world that I think, you know, is so used so well in this and in star Wars and in Harry Potter, but has become, I mean, you can certainly see it in politics. The, yeah. yeah, it's the great, yeah. it's the great man theory, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I mean, uh, here's the the thing that I do like about the one is that Neo is one rearranged. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I like about it. But I mean, it's it's very Joseph Campbell. It's very yeah. sort of and and yeah, I don't it. I don't love it because it does create sort of unrealistic expectations yeah. of mm-hmm. people. Um. And it shouldn't be about one person. It should be about the group. So in that regard, it's very superhero-y. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, fucking comic books. But I love the way that the sequels disassemble that idea and reassemble it into the one is a community. But I think that's also why people don't like the sequels because it takes away your power fantasy. It says your power yeah. fantasy is a lie. I mean, yeah. I do think though, to go back to your Avengers thing, I think it – might be why people love the Avengers so much. Mm-hmm. Like I think people love a good team up. Mm-hmm. You know, they and and I, I think there's there's something to that. And 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 I I wish that we saw more of that. You know, I wish we saw more groups of people and everyone has a skill set that mm-hmm. makes them important to the puzzle of the whole thing. You don't see that very much in this series, unfortunately. I think it's also interesting that to spoil the sequels, Morpheus is the only one who lives. Everybody else dies. Yeah, and Mor- because Morpheus yeah. is 
John the Baptist in the little, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at this mm-hmm. as a Christian allegory. And John the Baptist, like the, the thing he does is he dies after he sees Jesus to whatever. And like mm-hmm. that Morpheus gets to live, I think is an interesting example of where this movie's heart is at this series. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because one of the things I read was that um, when they sat down with Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. To play Morpheus, mm-hmm. he apparently talked the ear off about how Morpheus should be the lead of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and there's just—I mean, which is absurd. But uh, it, it does. Yeah, I guess I, I never really thought about it that way. I mean, I guess the other thing, one of the reasons why I think people were were, were slightly or more frustrated with the sequels also was that there was this feeling of, oh, it's just one of the Neos, and there'll be other ones, and we just followed this. Which, I mean alternate realities and any number of other, I mean, that that's part of, that's the world, right? You make choices and those choices take you down paths and maybe there's other versions of you that choose other paths. And I don't know. I, I, I think that it all really stems from the same thing, which is that the sequels didn't do what people thought the sequels were going to do. And they got frustrated by that rather than embracing them for, for the kind of groundbreaking thing that they were. But putting aside the sequels. Yes, sir. Yeah. Because I think that like, I think that's all true and fair. I'm really just for the moment, just interested in this idea of the chosen one yeah, and the way it makes us feel as audience members, how, all right. So let's say hypothetically, Neo wasn't the chosen one. Hmm. I don't think that movie would have felt, uh, I think we would have felt unfulfilled if someone wasn't therefore a chosen one. Sure. Right. And I think that that is, (sighs) it's a bad way to live your life. Right. Essentially, which 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 I've learned a lot recently. Um, the notion of the chosen one is that someone will come and save you. Yeah, right. Right. So, Phil, you can relate to this to some extent. But when I am uh, deep in my hypochondria hole, yeah, the bad part of my brain says, "Someone give me something. Yeah, someone figure this out for me. Someone come along and save the day." And then what I've learned is no one will save me but myself. Like no one will solve this problem for me because it's unsolvable. No one actually understands what goes on in my head better than I do. And only I can start to make this change for myself. So the whole chosen one idea is – it's damaging for for a society. And then what's really damaging is like every once in a while, like Barack Obama does come along, you know, and like kind of reinforces this idea that there's, yeah, that there are these people who can actually change the course of history for the better. But at the same time, he didn't. For a moment, he did. So I would yeah, say, yeah, like, no, no, no. I like, yeah. I, I love Obama. I loved, I think he's the best president of my lifetime. But at the same time, like, yeah, the rubber band sm- snapped back yeah. pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, a little bit of devil's advocate and also a little bit of how I feel. But you were talking just there about, you know, when you're in, in the midst of a, a panic attack or whatever the case might be, um, which I have been. And I have had similar feelings to what you're talking about, which is someone someone help me. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of it stems from a a comfort in people. I'm the type of person that uh, sleeps better when I know that there's someone around. Me too. So – it's not necessarily that I'm looking for that person to fix me or save me, but just the comfort of knowing that there are other people around, which I think – But those people aren't the chosen one. That's different. No, I know. But I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the, to the opposite of the chosen one, the mm-hmm. idea of, of, of a group 
and the power of the group. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that in my own way, I do subscribe to that. And that's sort of how I subscribe to it. I understand how unhealthy it is to, to have the chosen one mentality that we have in the society. It's not great. Um, but it's also, I understand the, the safety and the calmness and the idea of a group and how that, you know, how we can save ourselves if we all work together. Like I love nothing. I don't enjoy anything more on a television show, for instance. And it's one of the reasons why I love the West Wing as much as I do is camaraderie. Oh, bring that up. Sorry. I know. But camaraderie. You know what I mean? That idea of everyone working together. I love behind the scenes shit. It's one of the reasons yeah. why I love working on a television show. I love being on a set and everyone working together towards a common goal. That's awesome. I love sitting in a writer's room and us all trying to make the script, hopefully, the best that it can possibly be. I think that stuff is great. So yeah. I try not to let the chosen one idea sort of bleed into me. But then I also know what it's like when you're in a writer's room and you're convinced your idea is the best idea and no one will rally behind you. So I, I you know, I sort of, I, I, I see both sides of this. I just, I try to sort of not be. I, um, I think that there, I think it's really interesting that this movie's sequels and the Star Wars prequels are yeah. about exploding the chosen one myth and people kind yeah. of fucking hate them. And like, certainly they have problems. There are problems yeah. with all of these movies, but that's interesting. Thematically, I think they're doing interesting things, but I think it's interesting too, if we're going to keep running with this metaphor, uh, that there are certain, th like for instance, that the, the disdain that people had towards Leia, mm -hmm. her moment in, um, last Jedi, when she uses the force to, to pull herself in the fucking random rules, the things that people will latch on to now, maybe it's because she's a woman, Boys, maybe yeah. it's because possibly <laughs> it's, it's like, that's just, but, it, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fanboys. It's bullshit. It's us giving a megaphone to people. It's them allowing, you know, the Twitter allowing you to make fake accounts in order to, to, you know, make, make shit sound louder and worse than it is. Uh, it's just, it's just interesting. And I, and you know, the offshoot of the chosen one thing has been a lot of white nerds thinking this is my story. This, <laughs> this is, is mine. My and yeah. it's nobody else's like, yeah. don't touch my thing. And the, yeah. like, as we kind of branch out from that, people freak out and um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see these next several years of pop culture. I wonder. So, yeah. I, so I was, when we were talking, you're talking about the prequels for a second. I was thinking how cool it would have been if the prequels actually came first. Mm -hmm. um, that would have been much more powerful for me. And then it made me think in a way, you know, that is what Game of Thrones did. Oh, yeah. Game of Thrones presented a chosen one, killed him. Presented another chosen one, killed him. Um, and, and it makes me wonder if kind of with, with how it ended, if it locked itself into this situation hmm. where someone was going to have to sit on the throne at the end, you know, and at the end it was no, it wasn't an actual throne, but whatever. Someone was going to have to sit on the throne at the end, and that was how the show was going to be judged to some extent, at least by the. Uh, you they know, painted them in a corner for the throne. They didn't have to. I, I think it's kind of what we're saying here. You know, they didn't really have to. Um, I 100% agree. And I think that there was power in the dragon blowing away the throne and maybe having there be no king at, or queen at the end. Sure. There's but, a, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of changes we could make as a group to the Game of Thrones finale. I, I mean, let's but. do it. Let's part three. <laughs> we got time. Uh, so let's zero to 99 this, shall we? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Kenny, in 1999. 99. In 99? 98. I mean, 98 or 99. Just uh, 
incredible movie going experience. I think that the movie has grown in my esteem. I think that I, I, as I said in 99, I gave it an 89. Damn. Um, wow. In, in before sitting down for this podcast, I gave it a 97 and I, I, Probably say it's a ninety-seven still. Um, an eighty-nine is still really good. I still really loved yeah, it in ninety-nine. That is really good. That's but I don't. True. But I don't think that I. I know that I did not understand its brilliance. I didn't really understand the layers to it. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 only grown in my esteem. Am I, I probably would have been ninety-seven in nineteen ninety-nine. Okay. I, I really loved it. it and you knew me- a lot of stuff when you went in too, which says something. It made me think about things I didn't want to think about, even beyond trans stuff, you know, even beyond my own identity. It was just like, it made me think a lot about like, oh, I have to question all these rules I grew up with. And mm-hmm. like, I don't want to do that right now. So I would have taken two points off for that. <laughs> Personal discomfort. Is, yeah, yeah, basically. And now I'd, I'd be 99. It's 99. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's pretty close to perfect. Not quite, but pretty close. I, I would, mean, we're all, we're all I really here. think I would give it a 99, a 99, and a 99. I do. I think that it's like <laughs> it's a fucking great movie. I don't not, know. Like it's, I, I, I it's only the take best down movie some, yeah. we've done so far. Um, for I me, mean, that are eyes very shut for, for you. Me, yeah. But I think it's the best movie we've done so far. I think it's a perfect. Uh, it's a perfect studio movie. It's as good as mass pop culture gets. I yeah, I agree. Um, which I also I think we discussed this. I also think that's kind of as good as like art gets. I think art for the masses is is kind of a pretty high calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think it's, I, I, I would also say too, that it's aged incredibly well, incredibly well. And that's rare. And I'm also giving it no points for how pressing it is. Like I gave Ed no, TV I, I, all these points for how pressing it is, but like, or the was a matrix Ed TV comparison. Yeah. No, I, the, the fact that <laughs> the fact that they were so right about everything means almost nothing to me in the, in the context of this. Be- I get that. Because the movie itself is so powerful no matter which way the world would have actually gone. So. You know, I'm very curious to see if we make if we if they make sequels. You know, or we? I'm I'm, I have to say that if they gave it to someone exciting, or if the Wachowskis decided to do more, I'm in. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think that I'm excited to see what they would do with it now. You know, and what 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 is so sign me up. It would be it would be a really great it would be a really great project for a young trans filmmaker. Um, <laughs> I don't know any though. Um, <laughs> it would be no, it really would be a, a like it, it. That's the only kind of way to go with it. I think. I, I so don't disagree. I couldn't really imagine going any other way. And frankly, there aren't a lot of trans filmmakers who have gotten this kind of shot. I, I, I mean, I think that no. it seems as though the Wachowskis own it. Mm-hmm. It's clear that Warner Brothers would want to go back to I that. Well, I couldn't imagine that, but. No, them making it without Warner their Brothers. Even if they don't, I don't think Warner Brothers would make it without their blessing. Yeah. You know? Well, they wouldn't make it without their blessing for sure. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking to whether or not they actually would do it themselves. But it's mm-hmm. clear to me. I mean, it's clear to everyone that that there is a. I mean, there's people talking about a, a Morpheus prequel, you know, and 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 whether or not there's. I don't want a prequel. But if it's about Morpheus and his sort of his fight against, you know, whatever, they're you know? not that old, right? They're probably. Late forties, early fifties. Who are we talking? The Wachowskis. Uh, that's a good question. Around the age when George Lucas made the prequels, I just wonder if they can be like kind of pulled back in the way he was pulled back in. I think you got to do it like um, how early fifties. 
I think you got to do it like we all discovered that Split was secretly an unbreakable sequel. Yeah. It's just like, it's a movie about three teenage witches and they're having teenage witches. And at the end, they like meet Lawrence Fishburne. Trinity. Morpheus, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that'd be fantastic. Uh, so next week. Next week. We have the weirdest. Not the weirdest, but this is, it's a weird one. Uh, tea with Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you did that. <laughs> it's up. Tea with Mussolini. Uh, it's we've got a great guest in Barrett Doss, mm-hmm. who plays Vic on Station Nineteen. Uh, she was lovely. Uh, Kenny and I both went into this thinking, basically, what the fuck is this movie? And sat down, the three of us, a little bit sort of unsure as to how this was going to play out. And by the end of it, we all were really on board with Tia Mussolini. We, we thought it was, we thought it was a lovely film. Franco Zeffirelli joint. Franco okay. Zeffirelli, yeah. uh, share a whole Based bunch on of dames. His childhood. James, sharing a bunch of dames. That's sharing right. Sharing a bunch of dames. Dame Judy Dench, mm-hmm. uh, Dame Maggie Smith. <laughs> as Maggie, Maggie Smith, uh, um, Joan, Joan Plowright. As Mussolini. <laughs> Well, it's it's Mussolini at different times in in his life. <laughs> yes, uh, Lily this Tomlin. Oh, Lily Tomlin, not Lily a dame. Tomlin, That's another right. yeah, another dame, not another a dame. dame, not a dame. Uh, it's it's a it's a weird movie, guys, but uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a really great episode. I had a blast doing it, it's, and it's so it's, it's so, it's so like weird and how not weird it is. It's so weird and how like much it. It would have been perfectly at home and like this the 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 like. The 60s, all the 60s movies yes, that we never yes, saw, yes, you know, that absolutely. I know happened, but I just, that, that just never really like, um, if that makes any sense, that no, never makes sense. There's like movies made to get five Golden Globe nominations that's just like old British actors. Yes. And then the title is always something ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, this is ridiculous. Kind of what this but is. I don't believe it got any nominations. No, it's not getting any nominations. And no, people most think, of them fail. People yeah. didn't think it was good, but I'll tell you, it's a pretty good movie. It's a it's a sweet movie. It's got its heart in the right place. Sweet movie about the Nazi invasion of Italy. Nazis taking over You've Italy. Got Judy Dench yelling at Nazis. You know, like yeah, it's, it works in its own weird way. Matrix, Eyes Wide Shut, Ed TV, <laughs> Tea with Mussolini, <laughs> Top Four. Top four. <laughs> That's nineteen ninety four. We definitely at some point need to hear your your top. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. you have to do it right now. I mean, uh, Lord I knows tell you you'll top, be back. I can tell you my top four Let's hear it. easily. Let's hear it. Same being as John mine. Malcolm, being, this is from back in the day. Uh, being, being John Malkovich This is having not done one. any rewatches recently. Yeah, being John Malkovich was number one back in the day for me, absolutely, with a bullet. American Beauty was number two. <laughs> 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 Toy Story 2 was number three. Uh, oh, I love Toy Story 2. Uh, number four was Three Kings. Love Great Three movie. Kings. Uh, I believe that number five was Magnolia. Okay. So this was this this is your ninety nine list. Yeah, this okay. is what I, I sat down in I think Spanish class and wrote down my top ten movies. Do you know what it would be today? Malkovich is still number one. Malkovich okay. is one of my favorite movies ever made. Um Toy Story Two would still be in my top five. I think Magnolia would still be in my top five. Matrix would Matrix would be way up there for me now. Um you think it might uh, boot Three Kings from the from the list? Maybe. I wonder where Three or Kings American I Beauty. haven't rewatched. Oh, well, American, American Beauty is. American Beauty has uh, really fallen in my esteem, you'll yeah, be surprised yeah, yeah. to find. Um, I'm, I'm, the Straight Story would be in my top 10. That's one that wasn't in, in 99. It's a great movie. Well, guys, we did The Matrix. Shit. It was, it was everything we could have asked for, I think. I mean, it was and great. More. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, there's one more point I wanted to make. Okay. Did you guys notice at the end of the movie? Yeah. It says system failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the camera goes right in between the M and the F. 
system failure mm-hmm. and goes in the middle. Is it? Yeah. Yes. What? That's an identity thing. No. Oh. That it ends on the M and the F oh, that's and it sits there and it goes right in the middle of it. That's, that's really, that's a cool thing. I wonder if that's true. I'm going to detransition so I can transition again. <laughs> so I can about that moment. About that moment. There you go. I've tell it. I've, I've, I was, no, that's, I was that's sure. awesome. Am I wrong? I, I didn't put that no. together. Did you put that together? I did not. No. no. I think that's – It goes right in the middle. It feels like one of those things that's an accident, like a lot of the trans messaging in this movie. But yeah. I, think, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was an accident. Like the, the, Okay. It, it seemed very – I mean it went right directly into it. Um Whatever. I think, I, think I think that's awesome. I all right. Put that well, there you go. That's the end of the podcast and the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> thank you all for listening. All right, you are still. I are, you can is, find me at tboti. I have a trans Twitter account at Sandalwood Emily. Uh, you can read my writing on. Can I just plug all my shit right yeah, now? Of course, you can read my writing on Vox.com. You can uh, listen to my podcast Prime Time, which, which is, is fantastic. The, the history of television. Uh, I have another podcast. It's a fiction podcast called Arden, and you can read my book Monsters of the Week: The Complete Critical Companion to the X Files, published under my old name, but the paperback will be under my actual name. So you can buy That's that. Cool. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming. I love being so here. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was a really special, amazing episode. We're totally coming back and bringing Libby for the out-of-towners. Uh, so. I, is, is that real? No. no. She'll <laughs> murder We're all dying. of us. We're dying to get a guest we for the out-of-towners. We'll be murdered. All these, all these fucking garbage movies we have to do. You know, we just did Mickey Blue Eyes. So like, I have promised. I've, uh, we've all promised her she gets to do a good movie. Yeah, she's got to do a movie so, she yeah. cares about. We're running low. That's uh, not true. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm at PM Iskov on Instagram and Twitter. We are at podcast like 1999. Please rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. 